welcome to the show. Great to have you here on a Tuesday night. I got a lot of stuff to get. I'm just going to get right into it because I don't know if I can fit it all into the show tonight. It's that busy. We're going to start with yet another manhunt. Four guys this time out on the run, and they are no picnic. One of them is alleged to have strangled his girlfriend with a shoelace after a long relationship in which she ran from him and hid from him, kept her kids from him, but he found her. He's the guy on the top left of that quadrant you see right there, Joey Fournier. Police say that he is a dangerous murderer. He was awaiting trial for that allegation of strangling his girlfriend, Cindy, with a shoelace while she was hiding out in a quiet community with a protective order against him. Didn't work. He found her, and he allegedly murdered her in cold blood. And now he's out there somewhere, maybe near you, with three fellas giving him a helping hand, and vice versa. Is his brother helping him again? Because his brother was the one who kept him hidden from the cops the first time. And there are pictures of a getaway car at the jail where they all escaped. Who did that? Who had the getaway car waiting? Who cut the hole in the fence? Because that's seen on video, too. They think it's the driver of that getaway car. Is it these two brothers together forever with now a couple of friends from inside? We've got a whole story for you. And tonight, an exclusive interview with the murder victim's daughter. She knows a lot about Joey Fournier. She lived in the home with Joey Fournier. She was afraid for her mother because of Joey Fournier, the escapee on the lam, who's charged with murder. Why should those three trust him? Why should they trust him on the lam? She's got some choice words for the three other inmates and not just the public at large and that they should be worried about Joey Fournier. All of that coming in just a moment. Also, for four years, two little kids have been kept away from their parents, their cousins, their family members, anyone. Almost one full year, they were stuck in shallow graves. And for the next three years, they've been kept in cold storage. JJ and Ty Lee are the two kids in the infamous Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell murder case. Murdered by Lori Vallow, their own mother. Chad Daybell still has his day in court. It's not looking good. But did you know that they are still being held in evidence? Those two children are still being held in evidence. Read cold storage. The grandparents have been fighting to get them out for a very long time. They just want a burial. They just want peace for these kids. There is some movement tonight for JJ, at least, the little boy. Judges sign an order. He can come out of the storage. He can come out of cold storage. What about Tylee? And who will he be given to? His mom is in a lockup. The dad he was living with is dead. The man she was married to is in jail waiting murder charges. Who's he going to go to? Who is next of kin for J.J. Ryan? His grandfather is here live for an exclusive. We'll explain all of the wranglings that have been going on and what's going to happen next. Larry Woodcock in just a moment. And also, remember that tenant from hell? Of course you do. How could you forget? Elizabeth Hirshhorn. I keep saying her name over and over. I want to warn as many of you out there as possible. If she comes knocking at your Airbnb, beware. 
Maybe don't sign the contract right away. Maybe Google. Elizabeth Hershorn turns out, uh, we told you that she had squatted before and in all sorts of dilatory legal tactics to stay in a rental before back in 2019. Well, it turns out we have a case as far back as 2002. This has been a long history, a couple of decades of squatting and living for free in fancy places. And tonight, not only are we going to tell you about that 2002 case, we're also going to show you a picture of her. There she is, squatting, literally. <laughs> like, there she is in the guest house. This is the view of the dentist, of the tenant he can't get rid of. Just take a peek at that exclusive picture. That's Elizabeth Hirshhorn through that door, enjoying her free stay at the dentist's mansion in L.A. A couple years now, unpaid and fighting to stay as a squatter. Nobody likes that term. And I dare say there aren't many people who like Elizabeth Hirshhorn right now because her story is out. If she thought she could do this secretly, no. There's visual evidence of what you're up to, sister. And now there's a whole history of stuff you have been doing to get one over on the man or the woman or any other man or any other organization. Turns out credit card companies, too. No one is spared from Elizabeth Hirshhorn's litigation, uh, litigant litigant life, should we call it. She just kind of just does this with, with lawsuits in order to get stuff for free. Tonight, you're going to hear from the dentist. He joins me live. He's going to talk about what it's like having to look through <laughs> those windows at his tenant that he can't get rid of. And some very, very good news for the dentist. Not such good news for Elizabeth. The judge in the case that had sided with her before, suddenly reeling it back. Thinks he might have made a mistake on that. So I'm going to tell you all about what's going to happen. And you're going to be hearing uh, from the dentist. He's going to join me live in just a moment. Let's start with, um, let's start with this, shall we? 2022, right? Just last year. Cindy Berry decided she needed to get away. She needed to move somewhere safe, like Macon, Georgia. Because she had been dealing with an abusive boyfriend for eight years. He was beating her up. At one point, put her in a chokehold. She went to a judge and said, I I need a protective order. I have got to get away or I am not going to survive. And so she got it. She got the protective order, and she got away. She moved to a golf community, super quiet, peaceful, private golf community, got herself a nice house. She's got three kids. So you would think that she did all the right things and that she would be safe, and you would think wrong. Police tell us the boyfriend found her and decided that a shoelace would be the last thing she would feel as she was gasping for breath. She was strangled with a shoelace, left for dead in that beautiful, peaceful house that she had found as a refuge from that guy, Joey Fournier. He was 50 at the time. He took off like a bat out of hell and got a lot of help from his brother. Brother Jeffrey kept him hidden from the police for quite a while, but it didn't work. They caught him. They got him. They charged him. They jailed him. They put him away. They put the brother away, too, but eventually they worked those charges out. But Joey... No. He was up on murder. He was supposed to be actually facing trial for it shortly when police say, what do you know? Joey made out. He got out. He got three friends from inside the jail, and they devised a little plan, and they busted out, and they're on the lam, and it's been two full days. By 3 o'clock tonight, Eastern Time, 
So 3 a.m., you know, tomorrow morning, it will be two full days, 48 hours, that those four have been out circling amongst you all. Get a good look at the faces and know full well that if you're anywhere around Georgia, and I dare say 48 hours from there, be careful because they need a lot of stuff to stay safe and free. And you don't matter to them. All of them were awaiting trials. Joey for murder, for the shoelace murder of his girlfriend who was running for her life and never made it. The others, you know, no picnic either. Chavez Stokes, 29. Mark Anderson, 24. Jonifer Barwell, 37. They're up for a bunch of charges too. Want to know what those charges are? Like I said, no picnic, but not murder. Drug trafficking, aggravated assault, gang membership, aggravated assault. And then, of course, Joey with the murder and the aggravated assault. So those four are out there. What really burns me, and I think it burns you too, is how they got out. Because it was like a broken window. (laughs) Like, no joke. They got out through a broken window. And then somebody just cut a hole in the fence outside and then had the waiting car. Who? Dunno. They got it on video. They got the car on video. They got the car driver likely being the one that cut the hole in the fence. Damaged second floor window cut in the perimeter fence. Picked up by driver in a blue Dodge Challenger. Look at that. Seen that car anywhere? Keep a good lookout for it. They may still have it. Maybe they've ditched it. Maybe they've stolen yours or are about to. Here's the thing. ABC News was told by the sheriff that there were only like fewer than 10 people working at that jail when that escape happened. Uh, There are 800 inmates. So fewer than 10 people were guarding 800 inmates. And normal is about 30 people. About 30 people were supposed to be guarding 800 inmates. ABC News has learned only 10 were doing the job that night. Clearly, not enough, right? Because four of them got out. One of them's an accused murderer. FBI, U.S. Marshals, Fugitive Task Force. Everybody is looking for these four. The Bibb County schools were placed on lockdown. Of course, they're kids. And those guys are out there. Communities on edge. Cynthia Berry the murder victim who died with the shoelace, her daughter says she's having to relive horrible memories. Her name is Brianna Berry, and she's kind enough to join me live right now. Brianna, I am so sorry that we are meeting under these circumstances. Um, It's hard to believe what you've been through already, having to face the upcoming trial of the man who's accused of murdering your mother. But now to know that he is out, how are you processing this news, and how did you find out, Brianna? Um, I'm still having a hard time processing all of it. It's a lot. Um, I found out from my sister um, in the morning whenever it happened. Are you concerned at all, Brianna, that he may come for you or your siblings? Um, not at all. I think he's really just worried about escaping and being free. What should we know about him? You lived with him um, and your mom for two years. There might be no one better to ask what this man, Joey Fournier, is like. Um, what can you tell us about him? Um, he's definitely not a pleasant person to be around. Um, 
he's very, very manipulative. Um, he will pull the strings in, on people in different situations just so he can get his way. Um, he can't be trusted. I do feel like he will hurt somebody just to make sure that he doesn't get caught again. He's traveling theoretically with three other inmates because they all broke out together. No one knows if they split up, Brianna, or if they're still together. But if they are still together, what are your thoughts about him and his relationship to these three others? Um, I have no idea how that... I'm assuming they've, they met each other in jail, obviously. I've never seen them before. Um, but I wouldn't put it past him to come up with this plan and working with other people and maybe from the outside to get out. Do you think those, uh, do you think there's any like honor among thieves as the old expression goes? Should, should they trust uh, Joey Fournier? And I mean, you can't tell me vice versa. You don't know the other three, but what should they know about him? Oh, absolutely not. Um, he would definitely backstab them in a heartbeat if it meant it, it would benefit him if he's able to not get caught. Do you think he's capable of, of killing them if it means he can get free? Possibly. I mean, he's done it before. I don't see why he wouldn't do it again. What do you want the public to know um, about Joey, the, the person you saw, the tendencies that you saw, the behavior that you saw? You know, he's out there and he needs, um, he needs things to stay out there, to stay on the lamb. He needs food. He needs water. He needs money. He needs uh, transportation. What do you think he's capable of? in terms of making sure he stays free? Um, I, like I was saying, I definitely feel like he's capable of manipulating people, maybe getting people to trust him, to help him hide or whatever. Um, he's just really good about doing that and fooling people. And so. what do you think about his brother? The brother was there uh, in the first instance after he had allegedly murdered your mom. The brother hid him. The brother was charged. They dropped those charges, and so he's out there. Uh, do you think that it was the brother that went to the jail that night and was there uh, to to pick up Joey and the other three? Um, it's definitely a possibility, um, but it's really hard to say. What do you know about that brother, Jeffrey? Do you, did you meet him? Did you know what he was like? No, I've never met him. Um, I didn't know him personally, but from... Hearing things through my mother at the time, he's not a very good person himself and has had a history of violence. Did your mom ever talk about him in depth? Um, a little bit. There was a, he was really, from what I remember, violent. Um, there was a time where he left a voicemail on my mother's phone threatening uh, Joey, and I don't even know what it was about. But... Brianna, do you think that Joey Fournier, the man who's accused um, and was about to stand trial, I think starting November 1st, they were due back in court. Do you think that Joey Fournier orchestrated this prison breakout? Do you think he was the leader of these four? There's a very good possibility. Um, I definitely feel like he had a lot to play into it, though. Well, Brianna, for the sake of you and your sisters, I... First, I am so sorry for the loss of your mother. I am so sorry that you didn't get this day in court coming up. And I hope and pray that you are going to get your day in court and then some and soon. And I really do hope for the best for your family, Brianna. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
Well, thank you for being on with us tonight. I also want to bring in Larry Levine. Larry spent 10 years in multiple federal prisons at several different security levels. He is now the director of Wall Street Prison Consultants, which trains people how to survive behind bars. Larry, just give me your, um, your thoughts about what you imagine these four probably did the minute they got through that cut in the fence and got into that getaway Let's- car. Actually, let's talk about when that cut was done. They probably had someone do that maybe that morning, the day before. They waited to see if anybody came by and checked it out. At that point, they knew that the security was lax. So that was all ready to go. And those 10 officers that were working, those weren't all correctional staff. A couple of those may have been medical staff. So they're not custody officers. So they were really, really shorthanded. So what I believe is they cut the fence ahead of time. They waited to see, did anybody check it out? No, no one checked it out. No roving security patrols. So they pulled up. I'm not sure how they got through that window, but it was already broken. Who knows how big that window was? But they got out, they went through the fence, and they hit the car, and they were gone. And he might have, and I'm sure it's Joey, because he seems like the brains of the operation. He has the most to lose. Those other people, while they're there on serious charges, they're kind of like BS charges. They're not murder. So I believe that he, and I used to plan crime, as you know. I believe that he brought these people along with him because he wants to create a diversion They've split up by now because there's probably infighting among them as far as who wants to go and do what. Everybody wants to be the leader. These people really aren't friends. So if they split up, now the, the feds, the, uh, you know, the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, they have to dilute their resources to find everybody. So I venture to say that they all went in a different direction. That's what I would do. You know, leave the cops on a wild goose chase. Put some evidence somewhere for them to find that you're nowhere near that location. These aren't rocket scientists. They're not professional criminals. You got one guy who's a murderer. You got, I don't know, a couple drug dealers, somebody there for assault. This was an escape of opportunity. And sooner or later, somebody will make a mistake and somebody, they'll start catching these people. But it looks to me like they're going to catch them one at a time, and they're not together anymore. And this this search may go down for days. He obviously had resources on the outside. That car wasn't there randomly. They picked him up, so by now they've got cell phones. They've made phone calls to their relatives, and the U.S. Marshal Service is probably monitoring their relatives' phones. They've hit the cell tower that's in the area. they pinged the phone to see who was broadcasting at what time. So they may have a good idea, law enforcement, as far as who may be helping them. But uh, as far as I can see, they're gone. Yeah. It's going to take a long time to find them, and they're not stupid. Well, you know what? It is hard to be out there. Uh, we've done a lot of these manhunts, and it is hard to be out there, especially by yourself. you got to get supplies. It's hard to get money, and you know the level of desperation gets only bigger. Larry, I'm going to invite you back as we continue to cover this manhunt. Um, you have a lot of insight, understandably so. I really appreciate you doing this tonight. Thanks, Larry. Certainly. Be good.
All right, anybody who has information, by the way, if you're watching right now, you think you might have seen those guys, take a quick shot, uh, screenshot of, um, our t- of your TV set. Got the Bibb County Sheriff's Office number there. It's hard to memorize, so please take a picture of it. Uh, 478 751 7500. Again, 478 751 7500. Call if you even think you sniffed one or all of these guys uh, through your neighborhood. Um, it's usually us, everyone. It's usually us that really does make the difference in catching these guys. People see stuff. You are go- Someone is going to see something. So call and help the authorities get these guys off the streets. I also have a really quick breaking update for you. Uh, this happened today in South Carolina Low Country. Alex Murdoch got some of the best news all things considered, uh, that he has had in a very, very long time. The courts down there are saying that they're going to grant him the right to be heard, meaning that he's going to get an official hearing in the coming weeks. And it is all because of that complaint that he launched, uh, saying that the court clerk in his murder trial was going rogue, having uh, all sorts of improper conversations with the jury. This does not mean that his guilty verdicts are being thrown out. Let me be really clear. doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that the courts are taking his complaint seriously and that a hearing is going to happen to determine if maybe those verdicts do need a do-over, a.k.a. a brand-new trial. So this is big, and it probably means at, let's see, 1021 Eastern Time, Mr. Murdoch's putting his head down uh, in his prison bunk, a happier man tonight, or at least with a little bit of hope. We're going to continue to follow that. Still to come, also, I have a major update in that doomsday cult case, the Doomsday Mom case, Lori Vallow. She murdered her own kids, JJ and Tylee. And five months after uh, she was convicted of it, a judge has made another ruling. One of those kids no longer has to remain in evidence. Yes, I said it. One of those kids doesn't have to remain, quote, in evidence any longer. And if that surprises you, it should. Their bodies have never gone home. And that's about to change. And the children's grandfather is going to join me live next for an exclusive interview on what this means after so many years. Don't go anywhere. We're right back after this. Talked about the Lori Vallow case and the Chad Daybell case for years because it is now four years old. Um, her children, JJ and Tylee, were, married, were buried four years ago last month. So it is really hard to believe that this case is that old, but it is. And we've talked about it a lot, especially since there's just one development after the other, right? We just put Lori away for murder back in the spring. Um, But one thing we have not talked about is what evidence um, is like in a case like this. Evidence stays in evidence in police lockup until trials are adjudicated. But this case has taken a long time. With two people, separate trials. Chad Daybell's not even going to be tried till next year. And those children, buried in a shallow grave and unearthed about 10 months later, those children have been evidence. And they've been in cold storage. It hurts to even say those words. Because no one should talk about children and have to say the words cold storage slash evidence. But Ty Lee and JJ... Little kids, they've been in cold storage until now. The judge in the case, Stephen Boyce, signed an order and said it's time for one of them to go home, be reunited with his family. And that's JJ, not Tylee, not yet. 
We'll get to that in a moment. But J.J. is going to be released to his, quote, next of kin. And that is a very complicated issue when it comes to this little boy. Nothing's complicated when it comes to who his grandparents are. That's Larry and Kay Woodcock. They're his grandparents. But, but J.J.'s custody has been unusual. Um, the Woodcocks raised J.J. for the first 10 months of his life because their child struggled with raising J.J. And then Kay's brother, Charles Vallow, said, I'll adopt him. My wife and I, Lori, Lori and I will adopt him. Lori Vallow and I, Charles Vallow, will adopt him. I'll adopt my nephew. And then Charles was murdered, allegedly by Lori. Now Lori is in prison for life, accused of killing J.J. So who is next of kin? It is complicated. It is difficult. But we do know one thing, and that is that that little boy is being released to next of kin. I'm joined now by Larry Woodcock, J.J.'s grandpa. Larry, I was waiting for this day... Uh, it's only half the news I was hoping for, that both J.J. and Ty Lee would be released. Before I get to the complicated part of it, I just want to get your reaction, knowing that order has been signed and that J.J. is finally going to come home to his loved ones. Thank you, Ashley, for having us back on. It's always a pleasure to visit with you and talk about J.J. and Ty Lee and, and our family. Uh, we were expecting this, and we're still um, trying to put all the pieces together. But the court has ruled, and the judge has signed off, that they're going to uh, allow the family to move forward with our plans for J.J. and hopefully very quickly for Tylee also. So I know that, Larry, it's, it is complicated. I, I was very brief in the way I laid it out before, but, you know, um, J.J. was adopted by, by Lori and by Kay's brother, Charles. Charles was murdered. Uh, Lori's gone. But there were siblings, right? Like, Lori had another son named Colby Ryan, and um, Charles has two sons as well. So those ostensibly are J.J.'s brothers, so, I mean, it, next of kin is tricky, and I don't know that the judge can figure it out, and, and I don't know how you will all figure it out. But, but the, I mean, the news is that he will come home. When will you be able to reunite him with his sister, Tylee? Do you have any indication at all what the judge will do with Tylee's remains? We have no indication at this point when Tylee's remains will be uh, given to the next of kin. Uh, right now, we do have the word that J.J.'s body is being released. And our family is working as we speak yesterday, today, on making the arrangements and hoping that comes very soon. As always, as soon as we are given that information, we will get that information out to the media. And I am so happy that we are finally putting, putting JJ back with our family and can reunite, 
reunite JJ with his dad and hopefully with his sister soon. Uh, the family and everyone in our family is working together. Everyone is hoping for an immediate conclusion to this where we can put where we can put JJ to rest where he belongs next to his his daddy and hopefully soon next to his sister Larry it's such a, a difficult topic and and I'm my heart just breaks because I feel every time we talk, it's about another complication and another setback that you and Kay have had to endure. And I know that this one isn't easy either. So when it is sorted out and when you do have a memorial plan, um, let's talk again. I just, I, I so want to see resolution for you and your family. Thank you for doing this with me tonight and God bless you. Thank you, Ashley. As always, it's a pleasure. And thank everyone for the support and the prayers that they have offered to Kay and I and our family. Our family is a religious family, and we just certainly appreciate the undying support from so many friends worldwide, our, our families, and, and what the media has done for us. We will forever be, be thankful to y'all. God bless Larry and give our love to Kay as well. And we will talk soon. Larry Woodcock joining us live tonight, JJ's grandfather. And we will talk with him again, still to come. It is a living nightmare for anybody who owns a home and might, just might think about possibly having guests paid or otherwise. Squatters, scammers who move into place and refuse to leave. And in some cases, there's nothing you can do about it. But up next, this is what one homeowner and community had to do. They got a SWAT team. They got a SWAT team that swooped in and cleaned house in Georgia and wait until you find out what they discovered inside that house. Here's a hint, horses. And then joining me live, the dentist who can't seem to get a free loader, free loader out of his Los Angeles guest house. She's been called the Airbnb renter from hell. Elizabeth Hershorn, there she is, take a peek through the window, squatting. A judge in his case says, they may have made a mistake in the case. So does that mean the end is in sight for Elizabeth Hershorn? Should she start packing her bags? Her landlord is live with me next. How would you like it if in your neighborhood you had somebody next door throwing noisy parties every night with strippers and gunfire and stolen cars and horses and trash out on the front lawn regularly. Smell of marijuana wafting through the neighborhood regularly too. Because if you lived in this neighborhood called South Fulton near Atlanta, it's a nice family neighborhood with cul-de-sacs and all the rest, that was a reality. It was actually a really nice house too. Neighbors were trying to figure out what on earth? Do what now? Turns out, uh, Nothing could be done until eventually stolen cars led to police officers trying to get guy out of house with stolen car led to SWAT. Take a look at some of the images. This is how they got 
squatters out of that house in South Fulton uh, near Atlanta after four months of squatting. And um, when they actually got inside, the place was trashed. They found stolen credit cards. They found weapons, felony charges for all four guys that were squatting and horses, horses, horses. But there you go. It took a SWAT team. Squatters are out. But look at that nice house, nice neighborhood. That was going on for four months. But why can't they do something like this for the, um, for the famous Airbnb squatter from hell in Los Angeles? You know, the one that, you know, moved into an Airbnb, gave the dentist who owned the mansion in L.A. some money up front, and then, like, 550 days later, still ain't gone? Flurry of lawsuits? We have some pictures of the squatter, Elizabeth Hershorn. There she is in all her glory. This is her squatting in the guest house. And she's videotaping the person videotaping her squatting in that guest house. The nerve, right? You're the squatter. You're videotaping me. That's Elizabeth Hershorn. Again, commit that one to memory if she comes Airbnb in at your place or anything of the like. It's just it's what his view is out of his out of his own house, looking at his guest house. He's got to look at her squatting in that. Turns out Alongside these brand new pictures of squatter from hell, Elizabeth Hershorn, again, Elizabeth Hershorn, I will repeat, Elizabeth Hershorn, um, it turns out they've discovered yet another case. I know I told you last week there was another case in San Francisco where she'd done this before, I think in like 2019. Turns out in 2002, she also moved in to rent a place short term and wouldn't leave and complained about a faulty stove and chemicals and drove the landlord crazy. So it's kind of a pattern. Now it turns out that the judge who sided with her most recently, instead of the dentist who's trying to get her out, the judge is saying, I think I might have made a mistake on this one. You think so? Joining me now is Dr. Sasha Jovanovich, the owner of the home. And I also welcome back to the program his attorney, Sebastian Rucci. Thank you both. So let me start with you, Sasha. Where does the case stand now? Because that sounds like good news if the judge who sided with her is now reeling it back. Is it good news? Um, yes. Thank you, Ashley. Um, I think it's good news. Uh, it's been, of course, a very long time, but I'm really happy to hear that the judge has reconsidered everything and that we're now going into a direction of the trial that that's what we were asking for. So a trial means that you get to put all of the evidence out in front of the judge but are you both, and I'll ask you, Sasha, first, are you confident that you have the case that will ultimately end in her eviction? Well, I, I believe so. Um, I think the, the, the first and foremost is, like, here's a woman who has been in our house, like, for so many days, 550 days and ongoing, without paying, and so much has now been discovered that she's falsifying lying, manipulating the system, the legal system for 20 years. So hopefully the judge and the jury will see, of course, immediately through all of her lies and, and evidence that she thinks that she has. So let me let me have you jump in here, um, Sebastian Rucci. Uh, as a lawyer, uh, you have a, a more critical eye when it looks at cases like these. 
it, you know, I, I'm just astounded to find this case from 2002 where there was an additional uh, stressor put on a landlord from Elizabeth Hirshhorn. And then as I'm seeing other potential cases where there were lawsuits, there is something about an Amex case. I, I, I don't have a list in front of me, but it seems that there is a pattern. Are you allowed to bring that pattern into this current case if you're allowed to actually um, see a jury or even have a bench trial? Um, I, I'm certain that that um, Elizabeth will pick a jury. So so Hershorn will pick a jury. And we're excited because we have a lot of evidence as to why she shouldn't be there. Not one reason. We have multiple reasons. And uh, yes, when I cross-examine her, which she'll be called either first or second, then I can ask some of those questions. But it, it really isn't even going to be needed for that. I mean, we have the fact that she hasn't paid rent for 553 days today. Her lease expired 553 days ago. Five separate times she hasn't let Sasha into his house with notice. And then also she's done damage to the building. That's four separate reasons for her eviction. I only have one uh, question left for, for you, Sasha, and I need a five-second answer. Are you ever going to rent your house again or your guest house again if you get her evicted? No, there's no, no potential anymore. No, thank, thank uh, you. Kind of thought that was going to be your answer. I appreciate both of you, Sasha Jovanovich and Sebastian Rucci, for being on. I'm going to keep uh, tabs on you and call you back when, when you get some resolution. Thank you both. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Still to come, Alec Baldwin. Uh, if he thought he was off the hook for the accidental shooting uh, and the death that happened on the set of Rust, he's got another thing coming, like a real thing coming, charges. The ones that were dropped, suddenly they're about to appear again. Can they do that? And if so, how and why? That's next. This Saturday... It will be two full years since that shooting on the set of the Rust movie where Alec Baldwin pulled a trigger, according to prosecutors, and killed the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins. Five months ago, they dropped the charges against him. They said, mm, we could refile. And news tonight is that they're gonna. Uh, the weird thing is, initially, they said the reason they dropped the charge was because they figured that the gun had been modified before the shooting and malfunctioned. Now they say they've got additional information. It did not get modified. He must have pulled the trigger, they say. The problem is, the FBI did a bunch of testing on the gun and broke it. And so they used replacement parts to do the testing, to come up with this idea that, oh, he must have pulled the trigger. So that is where I bring in Jim Murray who is not only an attorney and a good one, but he is the chief correspondent for Inside Edition. He knows entertainment, too, so you're perfect for this. Um, look, I'm not a lawyer, but that stinks to me. If you broke the gun in the testing and you used replacement parts to continue the testing, to me, that's like a no-brainer for a defense attorney. Would Do what now on this case? Like, I could see them just saying that in court. Is this actually going to get to court? Are they going to put it before a grand jury? Uh, they could put it before a grand jury. This prosecutor is determined to bring this case, and it's a much lower threshold, Ashley. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's probable cause, not beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they bring this case, and I'm his attorney, I'd say, wait a minute, that's not the same gun. That's a different gun. That's replacement parts, and you admit it's replacement parts because the FBI broke some of the original parts, and they concluded he didn't pull the trigger, and you didn't need to do so. The, the, the prosecution is trying to prove criminal culpability, and even SAG, the union, says this is just misguided. You can't do that. He's an actor, not a firearms expert. So 
Look, uh, let's just say the lower standard of probable cause gets through and the grand jury decides to indict. And let's just say this is actually going to be a case. This is like 18 months. Like he could be sentenced to 18 months, real hard time. But is that real? You're the lawyer. You know, there's always that wiggle room for this is a good guy. He's never had a criminal incident. He's been a leader in society, et cetera, et cetera. Would he get something that severe? Well, to get something that severe, the jury has to believe that person to vote unanimously that he's guilty. I don't know that they're going to get that far. And even if they do, you know, there was a plea bargain that was on the table. It was removed recently. I would be surprised if charges are filed. I'd be surprised if there was not some sort of plea deal at least offered. I do not believe that Alec Baldwin will serve time. And if he does, I think it will be minimal. I just knew you were the guy to ask. That's why we called Jim Murray. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. So uh, coming up in just a moment, some really shocking, like spooky, crazy video that shows a masked gunman uh, following this woman to her front door in Washington state. See that? See what's in his hand? See what's in the right hand? Yeah, that's a gun. And not just any gun. It's got like a huge magazine. So it's what happened next, though, that put this video all over the news right across the country. And we're going to show you what it is in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. kid and um, used to say home free, whether you're playing tag or or baseball or whatever, there is a reason that the phrase home free means something special. Means the minute you reach your door, you're in the clear. You are home and you are safe, theoretically. And then I come along and I show you a video that scares the bejesus out of you and defies all of that business about being home free. This is a home in Washington State, a city called Kent. Everything seems normal enough as this man uh, comes home and unlocks his front door. And then right behind him, you can see his female companion coming up and uh, going through the door. And just as she's about to enter, she sees that out of the corner of her eye, and she bolts through the door. But look, he can't get through. No, the guy in black, he'd been waiting to pounce, right? But <laughs> then he just notices the, the doorbell cam, right? He had his gun drawn, and it attempted to be a home invasion. And the gun that he was carrying, look at it real close when he comes up after the second round of the video passes, uh, it had an extended magazine on it. Miraculously, she gets inside, she locks the door before he could grab her. And just after he botched his crime, he notices the doorbell cam. Dope tries to destroy it. But as you all know, because you are true crime fans, it's already in the cloud, fella. And we've got a still shot of your face. And now you're in the criminal justice system. So TikTok. If you happen to see this guy or recognize him, call the city of Kent police. Let's get him off the streets too. Thank you as as always everyone for, for being here for the hour. Stay tuned.